Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his love as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Adele. Do keep that open in front of you. Uh, we're carrying on in our uh, walk through uh, this astonishing letter uh, written maybe 40 or 50 years uh, after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, written, we think, uh, most probably by one of Jesus' closest friends, uh, written to a group of Christians who had some big choices to make. Um, I don't think I'd fully appreciated the sheer um, tidal wave of choice that afflicts, and I use that word deliberately, afflict us, um, before a moment, probably about 20 years ago, um, and I, we'd been away um, on a big, long holiday. Um, we, we'd uh, come, done an overnight flight, um, uh, sort of nearly, so we'd landed sort of one or two o'clock in the morning, both massively jet-lagged, had no idea, you know, what planet we were on, what, let alone what time of night it was. Um, and the two of us, uh, Catherine and I, went um, shopping. Now, it was in the very early days when everybody was still quite excited about the thought of 24-hour um, supermarkets. Um, I, we've sort of lost the novelty um, value of those now, but I, I promise you, 20 years ago, this was a big deal. And the thought of being in Tesco's, I can't even believe I'm about to say the sentence, the thought of being in Tesco's at three o'clock in the morning was like quite cool. Clearly wasn't, but it felt like it was going to be quite cool. And uh, we found ourselves in Tesco's at three o'clock in the morning, the two of us and 20 or so staff uh, in this enormous Tesco's, um, and uh, they were stacking shelves, which is why you know, they were keeping it open. They might as well keep it open. They're simply stacking shelves. And I needed to buy some butter. Straightforward, you'd, you would imagine. But I'd never really before had the opportunity nor the reason to stand and look in a large supermarket at butter as a thing. Absolutely mind-bendingly ridiculous. I, I could not believe it. I stood there looking. It was partly because I was jet-lagged. I stood there looking just in a daze at row after row of different types of spreads and butters and margarines, thinking, I never knew I needed this stuff. I, I didn't know I needed this choice. 
And actually, on one level, it was the sort of trivial choice that really, actually, fundamentally doesn't matter, but really does trip us up. I mean, I could have reached for any one of those things, and my life 20 years later would not be one jot different. But there was still the choice in front of me, and I was cheating, and I do I want spreadable or non-spreadable? Do I want salted, non-salted, lighter, full fat, olive oil infused? What, what do I want? And of course, really, the question I was asking is, what do I want it for? What I wanted it for was simply to spread on some toast, so I didn't really care. I pulled one off, and we walked on. But those choices... In fact, choice itself just faces us all the time. I've written a little bit about it in my letter to do with the choice of how we spend our money. But of course, that choice comes in all shapes and sizes. Some of them really big, significant choices. Maybe the choice over what career we pursue or a, a qualification we might do, the choice over where our kids might go to school, uh, the choices over friendships and over family, those big choices. But the choice in the end boils down to a fairly simple question. What is it I'm trying to achieve? What is it I'm trying to do? Does this choice actually do what it is I want? You know, when we were looking around for secondary schools for our kids, you know, we had some big thoughts in our heads about, well, what, what do we want a school to be? What do we want it to achieve? And does this school and what it's offering fit with what it is we're looking for? We're matching up all the time choices in front of us with the desires that we have, but we're also matching it up with our experience of life. Does it fit? Is it real? I'm assuming that you, like me, get peppered with all sorts of offers and adverts on the internet for all sorts of wonderful schemes and offers. And often they fit with the things that we most long for. It might be losing a little bit of this. It might be getting a little stronger. It might be getting a bit brighter. It might be staving off old age, whatever it is. And we know that this thing that's being offered to us, this choice, fits the desire I've got of my heart. But then we have to ask the question, well, is it real? Does it actually fit the experience of my life? You know, surely if actually there was this astonishing fruit that the experts wish you didn't know about and that if you eat three times a day is suddenly going to turn you into, you know, whatever it is you're trying to turn into, surely by now we might have known about it? So is it real? The people that John is writing to, probably in the sort of late sort of years of that very first century, had a life just as full of choices as we do, though not in terms of butter and milk. They certainly had a lot of choices facing them in terms of religion and worldview. Their world was peppered with people trying to tell them, if you want to know what's real in life, and if you want to find fulfillment, and if you want to be successful, and if you want to be on top of things, follow this way of life, this way of seeing the world, this religious idea, this God or gods. And life had recently been made even more complicated for them, as we've discovered already in this letter, by the fact that having heard about Jesus and begun to follow him, there were people that had been part of their church who had left them. And they hadn't just sort of left them quietly, they'd left them in a sort of cloud, under a cloud of sort of thunder, with a new set of ideas, a new set of choices, if you like. They were starting to say to them, oh, you know this Jesus that you follow, he's not actually everything that you thought he was. He's not really God come in the flesh to be with you and to die for you and to rise again in glory. But nevertheless, Jesus is quite important, and he taught some nice things, and really what you'd want to know is the, you know, the, the sort of this mystical idea of God who's there, and if you follow us, we can let you in on the knowledge that there is to know about this God. Follow us, 
yeah, Jesus is okay, but come with us. Suddenly this choice is in front of them. And as John writes to them, he wants to say, don't get it wrong. Don't make the wrong choice. Because, uh, yes, it's true that so many of the choices we make have no visible or real impact on us 20 years later. What butter we have or what milk we have. This choice, says John, is about life and death. It's why we hear that language that perhaps feels a bit uncomfortable for us in the first few verses of chapter 4 about testing the spirits or even the Antichrist. Now, immediately our horror film antennae go up. We start imagining all sorts of oddities. But actually what John is really talking about is those who, in this case, those who are anti-Christ, but also the one, God's enemy, Satan, who is anti-Christ. Not a sort of strange being with horns and a tail, but the one who opposes God and everything that God wants for us. But what John is fundamentally saying to them is, you've got a choice to make that will define the rest of your life. And the choice is whether Jesus is who he and we claim he is. It's as simple as that. Because, says John, making the right choice about Jesus, and this is the kicker, making the right choice about Jesus will, he promises, fulfill the deepest desires and longings of your heart. But more than that, it's the only thing that will fulfill the deepest desires and longings of your heart. Now, I feel for fairness as an England rugby fan that given that if England had won yesterday, I would mention the Rugby World Cup today, I still should mention it today given that we lost. It's only fair. But I'm not going to. No, I am going to. I, I was thinking that one of the glories of a World Cup, I mean, in whatever sport, is that you see in this sort of melting pot all these cultures and nations together. I remember in the, the build-up to the World Cup, one of my friends um, does some commentary uh, on rugby, and he'd gone out ahead of the World Cup to go and film uh, some, uh, some little sort of uh, some packages that they were going to use later on, um, and he did some sit-downs with Eddie Jones, and he did some stuff of visiting different places around Japan and experienced the, the culture there. And the particular thing was just to sort of showcase the different ways and the different approaches to life that the Japanese people and culture present. There's been a lot that most of us have learned, I suspect, over the last few months about Japan that we never knew before and about the way that the Japanese people will do things and will approach things. But at the same time, in the midst of all that cultural melting pot, we're also aware that human beings, whoever they are, wherever they've come from, whatever their culture, whatever their nationality, have certain things in common. We have some deeply rooted longings and desires that are the same the world over and are the same down through history, whether you're reading literature written three and a half thousand years ago or today. We have a longing for love. To love others, yes, but especially to be loved, to be loved. Is there anything that is more fundamental to being human? That longing to find true love. I don't just mean romantic love, just simply to be loved. We know that a newborn baby needs nothing more importantly, than love. But we know that's also true of us in our 20s and 30s and 40s and 70s and 80s and 90s. But we long not just to be loved, we also long to be known. Probably the real word is intimacy. Uh, the problem is that word has got rather solid by simply ending up talking about a sort of sexual intimacy. 
But actually, there's, a, there's an intimacy that is far richer and far more all-encompassing than simply sexual knowledge. There is that sense of being thoroughly known and thoroughly knowing someone else. It's actually one, part of the, ones that, part of the, the um, aspects of teenage angst. I don't know whether you can remember back that far. Some of us can remember a little bit closer than others. Actually, part of the issue with growing up, becoming teenagers, is that we start to realize that there is this distance between us and any other human being. That however well you know somebody and however well they know you, they can never utterly, completely know you. They can't climb inside your mind. They can't climb inside your heart. There is a certain way in which you will always be unknown to others. But don't we long that that wasn't the case? Don't we long both to be loved but also to be thoroughly known and to know but there is a third thing, and it's the thing that makes all of that so hard. Is that every human being on the planet, I don't care who they are, knows that we struggle to love and we struggle to be known and that we need a fresh start. The Bible calls it the need for forgiveness. But however you put it, we all know, every human being knows that we're not the people we could be. We're not the people we should be we need forgiveness. Love, intimacy, forgiveness. The three basic needs of every human being in heart and body and soul. And what John says is, make the right choice about Jesus. Because if you make the right choice about Jesus, you find in him and only in him the answers to those three deepest longings. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Our desire for love, both to love and to be loved, finds its home in the person of Jesus Christ. Love isn't a thing, is it? You can't put it under the microscope. You can't simply define it with words. You can't put it in a box. You can't sell it in a marketplace. Love actually doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists between persons. Therefore, if we want to know what love is in its purest, most glorious, core, beating heart, we need to meet the source of that love. Love has a face, according to the Bible. Love has the face of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world. For God is love. And we meet the love of God in the person of Jesus. I have a good friend who lives around here. Um, in fact, one of the people I met in probably my second or third week um, as vicar in All Souls. One or two of you will know him. And uh, he announced himself to me very early on as a thoroughgoing atheist. One of the loveliest guys you'll ever meet. Still an atheist as far as I know, but we're getting there. It's taking a long time. More recently, he's declared to me that although he doesn't believe in God, he does believe in love. And I keep saying to him, well, yeah, I believe in love too. But love isn't a thing. Love isn't just an idea. Love exists between persons. Love has a face. And the Christian faith says, yes, you long for love. That means you're longing for God. That at the heart of the universe is a beating heart of love, and that love has a face. And the choice you have to make is... Is it Jesus? But love longs for intimacy, to know and to be known. 
And the heart of the Christian faith is that actually in Jesus, God makes himself known. That's why John is so black and white about this. Verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He says, this is the core of it. This is the core of making that choice of right or wrong. Do you believe that God has made himself known to us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ? When you think about it, any other uh, approach to knowing God is all at arm's length, isn't it? Somebody says to you, I've got a book, and it tells you what God is like. I've got an idea, and it imagines what God is like. In the end, what we're doing is simply trying to cast our mind and our heart across this unfathomable gap between us and the God who might be there. Alone amongst ill worldviews, alone amongst all faiths or religions, the Christian faith says, this God who made us, who loves us, who knows us, has made himself known, has come to us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. And that this God who makes himself known already knows us completely. Now that in itself is an astonishing thought, that there is someone who does completely know you. There is nothing at all that is hidden about you to your Heavenly Father. Isn't that a huge relief? No pretense needed. No trying harder. He already knows the very worst there is to know about you, as well as the very best, and he chooses to love the whole of you, just the same. The God whom we meet in Jesus, this God who is love, we find in the face of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus. And in Jesus, he makes himself known, having already known us through and through. You are known, you are loved. But then it's vital, isn't it, that you and I are forgiven? And what John says is that actually for that fresh start, we need somebody to help us. We can no more put ourselves in the right place with God or even ourselves than we can lift ourselves up by our own shoelaces and hover 10 feet off the ground. Simply can't be done. We need somebody to pick us up, to wash us clean, to put us right. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, because it doesn't start with us. We're only ever responding to his love but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That couple of words, atoning sacrifice, is one single word as John writes it. And it's a word that's mostly used in the Old Testament. And it describes an act that deals with guilt, that does away with guilt, that washes us clean, often through a sacrifice that's made. Your guilt, my guilt, for whatever we've done in the past, for whatever we might do in the future, is dealt with. Not by us trying to make ourselves better, not by us proving that we've turned over a new leaf, but simply through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that atoning sacrifice for our sin, the one who lives that perfect life that we could not live for ourselves, that one who dies that death so that we don't have to face it alone, that one who rises in glory, to gain for us a new life that will take us from this life through death to the life of the world to come. Jesus, God come in the flesh, loving us, knowing us, forgiving us.
that choice over whether that's true, over whether that's real, is actually the only choice that utterly matters to the whole of life. It's the one choice that will affect the whole of our lives. It's the one choice that will affect the whole of our eternities. It's about as far away from me standing in front of those shelves as butter as it's possible to be. This matters. That's why John is so keen for them not to get suckered into following those who don't know Jesus, who don't acknowledge that he is God come in the flesh, who don't see the face of God in his face, who don't hear the beating heart of God in his heart, who don't find themselves known by him. It's one of the reasons why time and time again in All Souls we try and give opportunities for people to find out more. We're not asking anybody to simply go, oh yeah, okay. There's a lifetime of getting to know Jesus, meeting the God that we meet in him. There's a lifetime of asking questions, of exploring, of getting to know God. But this is the choice we make. This is the decision that defines our lives. And the reason that I commend it to you is both because it meets the deepest desires and longings of our hearts and because it makes sense of the reality that we live in. It makes sense of what makes us tick. It makes sense of the way our world is. It makes sense of what we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and feel with our hearts, that we meet God in the person of Jesus.